just for I, I need to trim it actually, but I'll, I'm going to try it on this time. So intro, let's hit the intro. Welcome to the Rebel Alliance Briefing Room Podcast. We are here to podcast about anything and everything Star Wars with you. Please visit our website where you can play current and past episodes. That's HTTPS colon backslash backslash R-A-B-R KyleDrickinson.us That's R-A-B-R dot K-A-I-L-E-J-O-H-A-N-S-E-N dot U-S On the left-hand side is a navigation menu. You can use this to learn how to load the Rebel Alliance Briefing Room podcast on your Android or Apple phone and tablet. And we have direct links to our podcast on Apple and Google Podcasts. Please participate by connecting to our social media, answering questions of the week, or submitting feedback directly from the site. Again, all of these are available at the Rebel Alliance Briefing Room website at R-A-B-R-K-A-I-L-E-J-O-H-A-N-S-E-N. I am Kyle John Johansson, and this is Andrew Scott Sutton. Say hello. Hello. No, Andrew. He uh, thinks he needs money more than podcasting, which is fine. Um, to each his own. Uh, we've got Rick here. He's got a video up there, but for some reason he can't get his face on the video, but um, that's beautiful. That's better looking than my face ever could be. Yeah, that's a beautiful scene right over the front of a boat out that's towards the water and looking at the land in front of it. That's the, that's the far north of northwest Ontario. That's the that's God's that's God's place. Yeah, not much out there, but wilderness and yourself. That's the way it should be, except for right now, there's probably six feet of ice, so I don't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it gets pretty cold up there. It gets pretty cold. All right, so today we're reviewing Star Wars: The Mandalorian, season three, chapter nineteen, "The Convert." Uh, first, we're gonna um, go through some uh, cast and and directors and all that. We're going to um, you know play a, a commercial, and then we'll get into discussion along with uh, our thoughts and the question of the week, which is going to be complicated, I think, uh, for a lot of people. But, um, yeah, so let's let's play the spoiler thing so we can get people ready. Spoiler alert. Danger. All right, so that means that you need to watch the episode, um, episode 19, or chapter 19. Um, and, uh, you know, if you haven't watched it, then you're going to get spoiled right now. It's going to be past the due date. Past Best due. by. Best by date. We, uh, we don't want you to blame us if you get spoiled, because we've already warned you. That's right. So... Um, You've got me distracted now, Rick, because I, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't looked at Amazon for a long time to see what our stuff looks like and see if I can do anything on there different. So now I need to do that this afternoon. Um, all right, so let's let's move on then. 
Um, the director spoiler. of this episode, spoiler, yeah, the director of this episode is Lee Isaac Chung. Writer is Noah Clore and John Favreau. Um, edited by Dylan Frischen. And then, of course, our cast is pretty long because we had a lot of uh, small characters in there for in a short short time, too. So we've got um, Dingerin as Pedro Pascal. And then, of course, his two body doubles, uh, Brendan Wayne, Latif Crowder, uh, Bo-Katan as Katie Sakaloff, um, pretty hot chick there. Uh, Nella hey. Kane is played by Katie M. O'Brien. She's got to have, she must have a quota for letters or something because she had to put the M and then she's got the O'Brien. So she's got a quota for stuff. Um, and then she was talking to the Amnesty Affairs Commissioner. Um, Son Krish Bala was him. Uh, we also saw Dr. We learned his first name, Pen Pershing, um, played by Omad Abitazi. Um, and then, uh, you know, he gave a speech. And then after the speech, he was out in the lobby area. He talked to several aristocrats. Aristocrat one was Valerie Pettiford. Um, two was Stephen Kern. Uh, aristocrat three was Norwood Cheek. Aristocrat four was Beneath Cox. Um, I think the one... Uh, Norwood Cheek was the calamari fish-looking one. Yeah, um, I was going to say, uh, he talked to the guy that looked like the uh, fish guy that was on uh, the, the rebel ship. Yeah, yeah. And there's a there's a little thing um, in the in the pod, or in the show about that sort of. It's a you know one of those uh, hidden gems that people always find. Mm-hmm. Easter egg. Yes, 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 yes. Easter's coming. I'm so excited. <laughs> Little buddy. Not huh? really. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, there's an Easter egg on that. And I could tell you right now. So, um, no, Dr. no, Pen no, is, spoil it. I will spoil it. It's a spoiler. Oh, spoil the spoiler? No. Uh, I'll tell you right now. So, Dr. <laughs> Pin is on that uh, table. Um, where he's complaining about the mind flare, mm-hmm. and uh, he he looks at the uh, the calamari that's in that room, and says it was a trap. Hmm. <laughs> Relating to the the episode in Star Wars where they the calamari said that too, it's kind of a, a thing there. It's a trap. It was a well, trap. Aren't they sneaky little fellas? Exactly. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's play the commercial that is the place that is exactly across from Aaron's um, Armor Sparkalorium. So we'll play that one. Are you planning your next trip to Tatooine? Well, come on down to Pelly's Modern Repair Shop, where our droids will spruce up your wagon. We'll service just about anything from Starfighter Corellian Y1300 Freighter to a Vespa hovering scooter. If we don't have the part, we can get it. If you qualify for our special program, we'll provide you with any parts our Jawas can get. Well, that's right. Come on down to Pelly's Modern Repair Shop, where we can store fuel and upgrade your vessel. 
We're located at Tatooine's Moss Eisley Spaceport. Hangar 35. 35. Yeah. Just a side warning, you know, be careful sometimes. There's there's rumors of scams that have been going on with, uh, you know, parts being stolen off of uh, people's uh, transportation devices. Oh. Yeah, so, so be careful with that, you know. Is this a sketchy neighborhood? It could be. All right, so let's get into this thing. So the Mandalorian Season 3, Chapter 19, The Convert, uh, first aired on March 15th. Do I need my concealed blaster permit for that? Yes, you do. You you cannot carry a blaster without a permit. Yes, I'm going to have to update it. Uh, Running time was 59 minutes, and our timeline is uh, 9 after the Battle of Yavin. So that means it's time to grab your favorite beverage, pull up a chair, and join us in the Rebel Alliance briefing room. All right, so uh, our episode starts out with uh, our two Mandalorians, Din Djarin and Bo-Katan, are on the steps leading down to the living waters in the mines of Mandalore. Uh, Bo-Katan is sitting there staring at the waters intently, and Din Djarin is lying down, coughing as he wakes up from an unexpected fall to the depths of the pool. Uh, once he gets his bearings, he says he has been redeemed. Yay! And Bo-Katan, despite the scorn she held for his quest earlier, affirms his statement, proclaiming that he is once again a Mandalorian. You are a Mandalorian. And that she witnessed the submersion. Uh, Before they leave, uh, Dindrin fills up a small flask with the living waters and puts the flask on his belt as as he picks up the foundling, Grogu. Bo-Katan hesitates. Ask if he saw anything in the water. Hmm. He responds, I, well, I saw a bunch of stuff going in front of me while I was falling deep down into the water. Um, and Krizel rep- or Bo-Katan replies that it's not always uh, that way. Um, and something must have changed uh, due to the seismic activity from the, uh, the bombing of the pur- Great Purge of Mandalore. Um, but she asks again, uh, this time being more specific, if he saw anything alive. But Dinjarin asks what she means, and she says, she says, never mind, refusing to answer. As Dinjarin exits the cavern, she hesitates and looks back at the waters, but it remains undisturbed. Unstur- he never caught which, on what she was asking, which is kind of crazy. Nope, he didn't. And he was, I, I was assumed that he was supposedly passed out. Um, yeah. So he on the way back up, he probably didn't see anything. Yeah, um, but yeah. they focused on it quite a bit. So yes. you know, they focused on it when they were going up. Yeah, exactly. When it, when they went up, and then she's staring at the waters, and then she looks back at the waters. So something's going to happen there. We don't know well, what. And there's something a little bit later on too, but I don't want to jump to it because I don't want to spoil the spoiler. Right. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so go, going on, um, Bo-Katan and Dinjarin and Grogu and the astromech droid R5-D4 uh, depart the planet in Bo-Katan's ship. Uh, Dinjarin asks to be taken to his ship 
and that they will part ways afterwards. He thanks her and all that stuff. And, you know, I appreciate blah, blah, blah. You know, I understand if you don't want to be my friend anymore. Okay. See ya. Yeah. All that yeah. kind of stuff. And Bokutan says, date, but uh, maybe there won't be a second callback. Yeah. You know, because I can't take my helmet off. So there's no kissing. You know, sorry. Bokutan <laughs> um, says that she would offer to hold him a feast, but doubts his helmet will be removed again. And then he says, this is the way. And then she repeats it. This is the way. And then Rogu babbles something that we don't understand. But me, I assumed he said, I assumed he said, this is the way also. I think so. Uh, Dinjarin and and Bo-Katan are distracted by uh, Rogu's, you know, babbling and look back and they're looking back at him. And uh, suddenly an explosion, something hits their ship and they notice that there is a group of TIE fighters pursuing them. TIE interceptors, uh, which these are the interceptors that look like um, the ship that um, Kylo Ren flew on the in- desert mm-hmm. that, uh, what's her name, jumped over. Right. Those are the interceptors and they're supposed to be more heavily armored, um, which is why she says they have. She's having trouble getting rid of them and destroying them. And I think Boat uh, Dingerin mentions it too um, that they're they're more armored. Yeah. Um, one of the ties scores a hit on on the Gauntlet, which is the name of Bo-Katan's ship, by the way. The Gauntlet. Yeah. Um, they realize that they're being attacked and make plans to have Dingerin join the fight in his ship. Once they reach it, uh, Bo-Katan's shields will be unable to hold against so many ties, tie fighters. Um, Dinjarin mans the gauntlet's guns. He asks who is coming after them. In response, Bo-Katan points out that she has angered lots of Imperial warlords, you know. <laughs> Oops. Taking away the virginity of all their sons or something. Who knows what? Um, Take a number. I don't know who. <laughs> Dinjarin says that he could provide support in his N1 Starfighter, to which Krizel's or Bokatan says that it will be uh, risky, but she agrees uh, nonetheless. She doesn't see any other way out. Um, I have a prediction of who sent those TIE fighters. I but, do too, but I. Do you I, want me to share, or should we just hold that? Um, go ahead and do it now. Because there's there's like a bunch of stuff we're going to talk about here about this this dogfight that they have with these tie fighters. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. My prediction is is the previous holder of the dark saber. That's just my prediction. Which was Moff Gideon. But, yeah, which was he's been tracking uh, Mando and figuring out where he was going, and just got lucky with Bo Katan. It's possible, yes, and that makes sense. In 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 one scenario, I have a different theory. I think, um, you know, in the previous episode, we or yeah, we saw the um, who was it that he angered last time and said they were going to come after him? It wasn't anybody this time? It was last season, wasn't it? So it, it it's got to be either Moff Gideon or 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 someone else related to that whole issue right there. Maybe one of the. Um, bounties that uh, 
Din Djarin captured at some point too. Who knows? Well, but... the the question you have to ask: Are they coming after Mando? Or are they coming after uh, Bo-Katan? Yeah, they destroyed yeah. her like place, so her castle. And we don't yeah. we don't really at this point we don't really know a, a bunch about you know her backstory. Yeah, um, there is quite a bit in like Star Wars Rebels and and uh, the Clone Wars, um, but there's not a lot mentioned about this and. Um, you know, it could also be, um, empire supporters too, that are, you know, true haven't, haven't given in to the, um, new Republic yet in their, uh, you know, the empire right around the time during the clone wars and the empire was there was when the purge of Mandalore happened. It was, uh, you know, they, they sent, um, the Jedi, because the Jedi were at the time part of the Republic and all that stuff. Yep, yep. Um, and they sent uh, Imperial Tie Fighters and bombers and everything there, and basically obliterated the planet. Um, and that's you know that's kind of what happened. So it's a it's a big story. There's more to it in in Rebels and stuff. And, Oh, for sure. Well, the, the reason why I'm saying that, because like, I think it was her, maybe it was Mando that made the comment about, that's a lot of fighters for a warlord. Yeah. So, so it kind of, you know, it's tied to a bigger... It's gotta be. Um, and and kind of jumped ahead a little um, bit with that, but... Honestly, I think I think, I think think they're after uh, Din Djarin. I don't think they're after Bo-Katan. I could be wrong. Um, but I think uh, kind of what your theory is is probably the best uh, best theory so far. Well, from what we know, I think they're after. Yeah, I think they're after the dark saber is what I think they're after. But that's just my my two cents for what it's worth. Yeah, it's two yeah, cents. I, two, just two, not three. No, three. Uh, no, I can't afford three. I can only do two. Not today. Got to get some groceries and put gas. Taco Tuesday is a long way away. <laughs> Ooh, that's right. But it's only it's only three. What is it? Three credits? I can't remember how many credits the tacos are. I don't know. <laughs> I got two. Maybe I can get half a taco. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, all right. So continuing on, um, as Bo-Katan's ship nears her castle, uh, Dingerin drops out of the ship's um, back end and activates his jetpacks right before he hits the ground, and he kind of stumbles there. I don't know if you noticed he. It did. It's like, oh, how embarrassing. And stumbles Oops. and and then he sprints to his starfighter and just at the right time he launches up into the air um, as a TIE fighter is shooting at the um, landing spot that he was in. Um, he uh, flies away in time. Uh, he ascends vertically before um, he goes up really high and does that little drop thing where you kill the engines kind of thing, and he drops back down and and is basically doing a uh, you know head to head thing with a tie fighter, and he shoots the tie fighter down and and turns just in time to avoid the blast from the torpedo that he sh- throws at the tie fighter. He's playing um, a game of chicken. Exactly, chicken. Um, meanwhile, Bo-Katan flies between sea cliffs with multiple tie fighters on her tail. She claims. Uh, not to be anxious, uh, but the R R five D four is is pretty nervous. 
Um, and I think at one point here we see him actually pass out. It, it looks like mm-hmm. <laughs> he falls back like he's passing out. Um, although she immediately determined undermines the statement by accidentally scraping a wing against one of the cliff sides, admitting that it's, it's been a while since I've <laughs> sorry, it's been a while since I've actually done this. I guess. Uh, although one of the TIE fighters does fly into the cliff and explode, she fails to shake the others until Dingerin's N1 comes to the rescue. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, he shoots one out of the air, and Bo-Katan instructs him to go to the right while she goes to the left, out over the waters, where she cuts her engines and turns one of her wings so that the uh, sheer forces will spin her around. That was and a pretty cool move. It was a pretty cool move. It's uh, like that was a Maverick. <laughs> yeah. Just tap the brakes. Just tap the brakes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was a pretty good one. She, totally uh, she destroys the TIE fighter and turns her engines back on just before she would hit, hit the water. You can see everybody in the, in the cockpit is, is up in the air and they drop back down as soon as she hits the, Thing. So they're on a roller coaster ride in that cockpit. Whee! I thought for a second there they lost gravity or something, but it was just. Uh, they might that. have. I don't know. I could have. G-force. Uh, yeah, I thought it was more like a roller coaster kind of thing where you feel like you're floating or something like that, which you probably are. That's why they make you buckle in, you know. Uh, I'll take your word for that. I don't ride those things. <laughs> The only yeah. roller coaster ride I ride is the one that I got my hands on the steering wheel. <laughs> Wee! Wee! I'll get you out in um, some of those uh, those uh, slick track uh, go-kart things, you know, that oh, slide yeah. around the track. Those gotcha. are fun. Foot on the gas and you never touch the brake. Yeah, you, well. You turn into the slide. Sometimes you do. Nah, no way. No, no, you just take your foot off the gas a little bit. You never touch the brake on those things. Yeah, Fort, that's pretty much what I do. Foot to the floor all the way. All right, so now that they're clear of the, all their all the TIE fighters, uh, Dindrin and, and Bo-Katan are exchanging damage reports. Of course, Dindrin has no damage, um, but Bo-Katan has shield damage, and uh, she compliments him on his, his good shooting. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Dindran picks up something off uh, on the scopes as an alarm goes off in his cockpit. They look over at the landscape uh, and see explosions in the distance, plumes of smoke rising from the from Bo-Katan's castle uh, as they see TIE fighter SA bombers destroying it. And if you notice, those were a little bit bigger. They had yeah. um, maybe two modules in between the wings. Yep. Um, so they can store all those bombs. <laughs> so uh, uh, Bo-Katan gasps as she surveys the ruins of her home. Uh, in shock, she turns in fury and pursues the bombers. She blows up one with a heat-seeking missile. Dinjarin sees over a dozen more enemies appearing on his scope and tells Bo-Katan they have to leave now as they are far far too many of them to fight. A swarm of TIE fighter in- interceptors emerges from the clouds, and Bo-Katan remarks that the sheer number of ships makes it 
less likely that the enemy of her, uh, of these forces is an imperial warlord. Yep. There you go. Um, Bo-Katan reluctantly turns away, following Dinjarin, uh, and jumping to coordinates that he sent her. They disappear, leaving the TIE fighters behind them. See, he put his foot to the floor and left him in the dust. That's right. He, but he didn't. He didn't flip the uh, turbo switch, though. Oh, that's true. He's saving. True. He's saving the the knocks for later. Mm-hmm. When he really needs it. Now we take a an abrupt uh, segue. We're on the planet Coruscant. Patreons fill the galaxy's opera house, which um, in the uh, Revenge of the S- Sith. Maybe, yeah. One of those movies might. where Anakin's at the opera house with uh, with uh, Palpatine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same opera house. We're just uh, having a speaker instead of a uh, weird bubbles and whatever um, stuff. <laughs> yeah, entertainment. Yeah, this is an so, enlightenment versus an entertainment. Exactly. So uh, they they're listening to. To Pen Pershing, a formal imperial scientist who once worked for Moff Gideon. Oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. sink that in a little bit. Uh, he speaks on experience, uh, on his experience in the amnesty program. He claims it saved his life, as he has no choice in working for the Empire. He had no choice in working for the Empire. He now wishes to use his expertise to help the New Republic. One of the people in the audience uh, is communications is the communications officer who also formerly worked for Moff Gideon, and apparently, um, we should have noticed her in about four different episodes uh, last season. Um, I recognized her when I saw her, and he recognizes her because yeah, he's like he does terrified when he sees her. Pretty much, well, because it's Moff Gideon. Yeah, Moff Gideon's yeah, yeah, yeah. a pretty scary guy, but um, yes, and uh, her her look is is kind of terrifying too. She's not, she doesn't have the, a pleasant face all the time. Is what I'm trying to say. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um. She has anyway, uh, RBF. Arg. <laughs> she has a one of those ones where you got to cob up your butt and you can't really figure out how to get it out. Uh, yeah, well, we'll just leave it at that. Pershing <laughs> <laughs> uh, recounts how his mother died of heart failure and that the incident is what inspired him to work towards organ cloning technology to prevent a sm- similar incident happening to others. When he finishes his speech, he is surrounded by socialites fawning all over him, but he endears with an awkward smile. And I want to stop here for a second and say, isn't it strange with all the technology and everything they have, mostly for weapons, I guess, but they have, you know, things that can, they can fly on their, on their back, you know, these little rocket things on their back, all these technologies, but they don't have the cloning thing figured out yet. Well, I mean, yeah, but human, I mean, humans are a little bit more complex and intricate. Like you know, yeah. Well, it, it takes it takes the Camonians, you know, that they finally meet for them to realize 
you know how how to do all this technology because oh yeah once they yeah. once they meet them they sh they share the technology a little bit and stuff yeah um, and that's where Pershing bases most of his stuff on after after that but um anyway so Pershing takes taxi um to his new home the Am Amnesty Housing the taxi droid gives him recommendations for sightseeing opportunities on Coruscant as he is re relatively new to the planet, including the Sky Dome Botanical Gardens and the Holographic Museum of Extinct Animals. He exits his cab and walks into the courtyard of the Amnesty Housing, where four residents are all wearing Amnesty uniforms and chatting over drinks. One calls him over and says, Hey, come over here, buddy. Um, he introduces himself as Amnesty Officer M34, uh, Pershing shakes his hand and offers his des designation in turn, Amnesty Scientist L-52. Pershing's pins indicate that he is new to the Amnesty housing, uh, and he explains to the Amnesty Officer M-34 that he just arrived from the Reintegration Institute. M-34 introduces the rest of the group, Amnesty Officer M-40, G-27, and G-68, uh, who Pershing recognizes immediately as the communication officer who worked for Moff Gideon. Hmm. Mm -hmm. When he remarks on this, the group exchanges the rumors that they've heard about what happened to Gideon. One heard he escaped on his way to the war tribunal, and another claims that it is merely a cover story to hide the fact that the New Republic used a mind flayer on him. And um, I wanted to explain the Mind Flayer a little bit, kind of explain it in the episode. Um, but the Mind Flayer um, basically scrambles your brain a little bit. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, for some reason, your brain interprets that as a feeling of relief. Okay? And if they turn it up uh, high enough, it can scramble your brain enough so you could, um, you know, you're pretty much a vegetable. And possibly could die from it because it could scramble a little too much. You know, you may not uh, know how to breathe anymore or something like that. Yeah, you crank it up and you become a tossed salad. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, yeah, he specifically says that you'll enjoy this. It will exactly. provide you with relief and relaxation. Uh, relaxation exactly. maybe, but relief, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that's funny because that because that's in the, that's coming up here in a, in a little bit. But that calamari says I've even had it done myself. Yeah, yeah. And it felt the wonderful. The fish head yeah, guy. I'm thinking. Uh huh. Right. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to rumors, warp tribunal, blah blah blah, mind flare. Okay. Um, when they turn to G sixty eight, she admits that she tries not to think about Moff Gideon as she focuses instead on how she can contribute to the New Republic. Yeah, and that's... I was like, uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Sure. I believe you. Yep. I think her pants got on fire a little, too. Exactly. Fire, fire. Pants on fire. Liar, liar. Pants on fire. Liar, liar. Uh, so the next morning uh, on Bendiue Day, which that's the name of Name of the day of the week, you know, kind of like our Mondays and Tuesdays. 
Uh, Bindua Day is the fifth day and the final day of the week. So they don't have seven days. That's interesting. Um, and we hear another one. We hear uh, a Tau, Tau Day. Um, he mentions when he's on the shuttle. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think Zella Day is Zell Day is one of them too that we hear to, in this episode. Uh, anyway, so the fifth day of the week, uh, Pershing sits in his cubicle surrounded by other identical cubicles um, and he's peering into a view screen. A colleague brings him a tray of data cards for him to archive. His new job has nothing to do with his expertise, but he tells his coworker he is happy to do whatever he can for the Republic. Later, he and G-68 go sightseeing on level 5127, which must be one of the higher levels. Um, they're eating glowing treats on a stick. I don't know what that is. Mm, probably don't it want must to be, it must It must be frozen or something. I don't know. Uh, I think anyway. it was frozen because she sits on your, your, uh, your treats melting or something. Yeah, yeah, she does. Uh, Pershing admits he's overwhelmed by the crowds and remarks that the sheer number of people on Coruscant makes him feel insignificant. Yeah, so Coruscant is supposed to have like three trillion people on it or something. A huge number. Yeah. Um, and and you, like I said, this is level five one two seven. You know, think about that many levels being below there. That's that's a huge amount of, you know, places. I don't know. He, it's almost like a city in a, in a city. You know, each level is a different city or something. Or, you know, maybe uh, the poor people are on the lower level and the rich people are on the high level. I don't know. It's like, yeah, I was going to say like, a, yeah, like the levels of a boat. You know, the bottom level is the steerage class. And then, you know, the upper level is the hoity-toity, you know. And, uh, you know, maybe they're not supposed to interact, you know, within levels unless they're, you know. Yeah, specifically assigned to do that or something. I don't know. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. We saw we see a couple of different levels of Coruscant um, in the animated stuff. Um, as a matter of fact, um, the last season of uh, the Clone Wars, I was pretty much about Ahsoka and you know what happened with her, mm-hmm. and she ends up going down quite quite a few levels. Um, and meeting some people down there that uh, we end up meeting um, the Bad Batch meets the <laughs> the the two girls the that uh, are stealing the uh, the head of the droid on, on a previous episode. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they they were in the Clone Wars, and she Ahsoka met them, and uh, and you know that's how they got involved in the uh, alliance or the. You know, rebels. Rebellion, you could say. All right, so he's uh, overwhelmed, um, insignificant. But G sixty eight says she feels special because she knows how much it took for her to return here. She grew up on Coruscant and remarks that while not much materially has changed, it feels different. You know, because the New Republic's taken over instead of the Empire. Yep. Uh, she says they. Th- they thought they were doing something good under the Empire, and Pershing says that he thinks about his unfinished research sometimes. He uh, he would like to um, use it to help a lot of people, and G68 suggests he continue it. 
He points out that because of the ethical complications of cloning, the New Republic is not interested in his work. And G-68 responds that merely following orders is what got them into this mess of the Empire in the first place. The New Republic was struggling as a fledgling state, and his work would help, even if it would be against orders. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. Pair reach a large rock jutting up from a hole in the floor, and G-68 tells Pershing that is a U-mite, uh, which is the only part of the surface of Coruscant that can be seen from upper levels. Uh, and U-mite is a, like it's like she said in the episode, it's a mountain, mm-hmm. um, the top of a mountain. Uh, in the Minari range on Coruscant, uh, And by this time, everything is covered. Uh, oh, and um, also, a Coruscant is called a a Yukonopolis, meaning um, it's a a city that is uh, enveloped an entire planet. That's what you know, Yukonopolis is called. Cool. Um, uh, planet fabric, da da da, tunnels, blah blah blah. Unimite is the peak uh, of a monument, a plaza. So, uh, lost my spot. The only part of the surface that can be seen from upper levels, G68 encourages him to touch it, laughing when a droid hurries to prevent him from doing so. <laughs> Playing little tricks already. Missed the uh, sign. Do not touch. Yeah, do not touch. And the uh, he drops his uh, photon fizzle pop, or not, <laughs> not his photon fizzle pop, but his. Uh, whatever, lighting up uh, popsicle thing. But she pop. offers to buy him a a photon fizzle, which is different, and an apology for tricking him, which he's still laughing. He, 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 he. Which kind of foreshadows her, uh, her evil tendencies in a way. She enjoys uh, torturing people or something. Way to ruin a very, you know, touching moment. Exactly. In the morning, Pershing is interviewed by a parole droid uh, who asks his feelings about the New Republic and general emotional state. Uh, Which I thought those questions are funny. It sounds like questions that you uh, like. We did a survey thing at my work, and we we asked they asked questions like that. Yeah. Do you have a friend that at work that you confide in? Are you happy with? you know, your company management, you know, stuff like that. Are you happy <laughs> with your job? Stupid Is there questions. anything that you can see that needs to be changed? Yeah, kind of like that uh, when the bobs came in an office space. Yeah, that's when I was getting ready to say the bobs. <laughs> we're, we're not here to fire anyone. We're just here to see about your culture. Exactly. Uh, at the end of the interview... He asks the droid whether he is allowed to continue his prior research on his own time. The droid responds, uh, quoting the, that they are forbidden by the Coruscant Accords, which is the, uh, I think it's a peace treaty that was signed that uh, formed the New Republic um, and dissolved the uh, Empire, basically. Uh, means that they can dismantle all their stuff. So it's forbidden by the Coruscant Accords. Um, 
I was trying to see if it had a date on the course on course, but I don't see anything. There's no no record of a date. But it is he quoted the subsection 13 subparagraph seven. Um so that would not be possible for Pershing. Pershing returns to Amnesty Housing where he finds G68 sitting in the courtyard. He tells her that he's been thinking about what she said and that he wants to prove to the New Republic that his research can be used for good. In order to do so, he will need a mobile lab station, which G68 claims they could acquire if Pershing is willing to go outside the boundaries uh, set by the parole conditions. The punishment for being re would be being returned to the reintegration institute. G sixty eight responds that she regrets her past actions in the service of the empire, but says that she is willing to help if his research means a lot to him. Breaking when he the refuses, law. breaking the yeah. law. Exactly, she's tempting him. It sounds like right Maybe. when he refuses, saying it's too dangerous. G-68 tells him to sleep on it before leaving um, him alone in the port courtyard. Uh, at his cubicle the next day, Pershing is confused at all the equipment he is tasked with archiving uh, and it that's set to be destroyed, despite the fact that it's in working order. Um, when he asks a colleague, the colleague refuses to entertain Pershing's claims that the equipment can be put to use instead of confessing he he confesses the department is extremely behind on everything. <clears throat> well, sure. Between clearing the Imperial Disposal Yards and decommissioning the Alliance fleet, uh, Pershing continues insistent that he could do something. The colleague admits that it is possible through a form called C-1023. Um, a TPS report. <laughs> TPS report. TPS report. Please wait. And it, there is nothing. There's nothing really about this thing. That this is the first time this um, form has been mentioned somewhere. Um, but it's uh, so it's a form that could be submitted to the New Republic in order to request a stay of decommissioning of Imperial equipment uh, that was of particular interest. That's what the form uh, is for. Uh, uh, it just goes to show you that bureaucracy is everywhere. Paperwork exactly. is needed for everything. Exactly. Uh, although he is unsure it's possible for someone of the Amnesty program to fill out one and submit it, uh, Pershing then drops the line of questioning defeated and his colleague leaves after assuring him that he is truly helping the New Republic. You're a good Pershing job. Once Keep You're working. Good. Keep working and don't uh, don't look around. Just keep your head down. Uh, we don't want you to talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. um, Pershing is once again interviewed by the parole officer. Answering the routine questions about his feelings the same way as he had earlier. However, when he asked when he's asked whether he feels any anger or resentment toward the New Republic government or its employees, he hesitates rubbing his ear. I don't like that little thing he did when he was giving his speech. Yep. Talked about his mother, which uh, I think that means he's anxious about telling a lie or something. I don't know. He's got to tell. You want to play him in poker. Exactly. 
when the droid repeats the question, he hurriedly answers no. He then interrupts the droid who has stated on the end of the spiel, our main objective is to help the... Re he asks the droid if our main objective is to help the Republic, right? When the droid answers in an affirmative, he asks whether it supersedes everything else, which the droid confirms as well. Pershing lives deep in thought. Hmm. <laughs> Later, Pershing knocks on G68's apartment. Time for a hookup. Oh, no. He seeks her help <laughs> in assessing, uh, accessing the mobile lab station. Uh, you thought that was a booty call, didn't you? Yeah, no. Spoiler! Spoiler! She's, she's obviously uh, doesn't like that uh, gender. Mm, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> a G68 pauses before consenting to the plan and su suggests they, f they uh, do it the next night. Later, Pershing removes his amnesty uniform and dresses in a brown coat and matching trousers. Before leaving, he tells himself that he is helping the New Republic. You are helping the New Republic. He's in front of a mirror, which, um, from what I understand, having a mirror that big is, is pretty much a luxury. But um, they usually have a little tiny mirrors because they don't have space for anything. Yeah. He's he got to give himself a pep talk. Exactly. Pump himself up so he uh, goes through it, I guess. Yep. He and G68 walk through the streets of Coruscant. G68 tells him to relax and follow her lead, reassuring him that he will be fine. They walk past several New Republic soldiers and sneak through a checkpoint. Did you notice that? She put her foot in there, and then that's how they got through the, the checkpoint. Yeah, she waited until someone came through. It was like a like in New York, you have a bus pass. You swipe the bus pass to open up the things yeah. so you can go through. And she stuck her foot in there. The uh, uh, turnstile or whatever you want to call it. What is that thing called? Is that right? Turnstile? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except it was a it was a kind of a gate. Like they have at yeah. Walmart now. You got a gate. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe she has done uh, this before. Maybe. It looked like it because she kind of knew what she was doing there. Yeah. Um, they walk past several more soldiers and sneak through the checkpoint. Uh, the two board a hover train where G-68 briefly greet, greets a Bufapella, which is uh, that had the big furry kind of thing. Yeah, big um, guy. We saw that guy in um, another sh episode, uh, not this show. Um, fought with the Alliance species. Where did we see him? I think it said it was like... Um, Maybe it was in the uh, um, Rogue One. Mm, yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. Maybe, um, but these guys are big guys, and the one I think in Rogue One was a smaller guy. But well, he looks like uh, the face part, not the body, but the face part looks uh -huh. like. The, uh... That's where it was from. So it was in. Uh, it was in Rogue One. No, that's not Rogue One. That's uh, that's one of the new movies. So it was in the Canto Blight uh, Casino, um, where mm. Finn and Rose uh, break in there. And it's one of the first things they see is a 
this big guy and um and then they run into that little guy that's uh so drunk that he can't he can't figure out what he's doing yeah 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 uh, so anyway her? she uh, yeah at the cantina canto blight yeah. ca- casino and cantina uh so uh pershing asks him if it's tongs day which I told you was another day of the week. It ends up to be the third day of the week. Um, the Buf Pell nods in return. G68 gazes out the window at Coruscant's crowded skyline. Uh, and then tells Pershing that they are heading to the Gideon light cruiser. So they're going to Moff Gideon's light cruiser. Yeah. In the disposal yard. She reasons that the Imperial ships will have mobile labs. Pershing is uneasy due to the ship's connection with the old empire. G sixty eight assures him that the ship is is a mobile is mobile junk and suggests that the, that he sneak in and get out what he needs before returning to the amnesty housing. When Pershing asks, Have you done this before? G sixty eight Hints at uh, that she snuck out and stole the biscuits that were at his door the other day. Uh, The hover train enters a tunnel which takes them from the inner city to the disposal yards. A pair of ticket droids come through collecting tickets, which G68 takes a cue as they need to leave. The two access the rear door of the carriage and climb into another carriage uh, going through several uh, more cars till they get to the end. Uh, The ticket droids follow them all the way to the rear. G-68 and Pershing uh, are at the rear with the train approaching the shipyard depot, and she tells Pershing that they're going to have to jump. Um, Pershing is like, what? (laughs) The thing's still going, what? Um, Pershing is afraid, but she tells him to trust her. G sixty eight signals the two jump, and the and the train from the train and land on some crates nearby. Pershing chuckles, prompting G sixty eight to chuckle as well. He's like, "Ooh, that was fun. Let's do it again." <laughs> the two approach Gideon's former light cruiser, which has been hollowed out. Pershing admits that he has not done anything as risky as their adventure before. The two walk through the light cruiser connecting cruisers connecting bridge, uh, which leads to a darkened corridor that is littered with by wires and cables. Somebody's already been in there stripping stuff. Yep. The, the valuable stuff more than likely, but yeah. Salvaging. G68 tells Pershing that she she passed Gideon's. She passed him on Gideon's ship hundreds of times, and regrets not talking to him um, before. Uh, and she identifies her name as Ella Kane. Uh, as a scientist, Kane leads uh, G sixty eight. No, Kane is G sixty eight. Yeah, Kane leaves it. Pershing to the mobile lab before asking him if everything he needs is inside. 
course, Pershing is giddy and excited about uh, what he what he sees, um, and says he ta he'll take only what he needs. Cain uh, reminds him that everything inside is going to the scrap heap. It'll be it'll be thrown away, and Pershing regales Cain with a story about his childhood dream of being inside a laboratory, mentioning that his mother grew up in a small town and never lived to see that dream. Pershing asked Cain what she aspired to be as a child, and he, he she replies that he did not have she did not have time to think of that. So Pershing asks asks her what is, what she aspired to be as a child, and she didn't know she she didn't even want to be a firefighter. She just didn't know. Maybe she's a clone. Dun dun dun. I don't think so, but uh, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> the, the two here movement, uh, but claim, but Kane claims the ship is rattling and settling. She volunteers to keep watch while he continues packing. Uh, Pershing retrieves a box, and the two exit the laboratory. Pershing asks how they will get back. They hear a movement approaching through the sliding door and run through a corridor corridor that leads out to the light cruiser and into the disposal yards. While running, they are, dis they are spotted by an airspeeder, which shines a light on them. The two are surrounded by Republic New Republic soldiers who arrest Pershing, and Pershing is shocked when the soldiers allow Kane to depart with a recovered box. Soldiers reiterate, their orders for Pershing and tell him to raise his hands. Pershing surrenders and he is handcuffed by the soldiers. They knew who he was because they uh, they identified him. They did. Uh, they called his name out and everything. Yeah, as L whatever whatever. I can't remember what it was. And uh, yeah, so L52. L52, thanks. And uh, then he kind of comes to the realization that uh, he got duped. Yeah, and I have a, you know, that brings up something. I have a wondering as why they're identifying themselves as letters and numbers instead of by their names. Well, but that that's the that's the stormtroopers. They don't have a I name. Know. They, they they go by letters. I know, but they're trying to get away from that. Cuz the empire was the stormtroopers. Yeah, but and it, the clones. It's, it's, it's hard to break old habits. I guess. I don't know. It just seems weird to me. Yeah. Maybe they're doing it because that's what they're used to. They're all people from the Empire and they're used to that kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. It just yeah. seems weird. I don't know. Okay, so uh, Pershing is restrained on an operating table by a Mon Calamari technician. Pershing tries to explain his actions, but the technician responds that the MSD officer G-68 has already submitted a report. When Pershing asks what she told him, the Mon Car Calamari replies that he understands that adjustment can be difficult. Pershing protests, but the technician says the imperial indoctrination uh, can be difficult to under overcome. When Pershing realizes that he has been subject, he will be subject to a mind player. The Mon Car Calamari re reassures him that it is a 602 mitigator. 
which he claims to be a non-invasive experimental, tre experimental treatment recently approved for rehabilitation. It's a mind flare. It's a mind flare. <laughs> no, it's and, not. And, well, yeah, that's what they keep telling him. And uh, when I look up the 602 mitigator, it's a mind slayer that does the same thing, but they use low voltage only, which yeah. uh, which the technician explains here. The technician explains that it's it's low voltage and it can be used to treat traumatic traumatic memories. He'll As heal. Technician. Oh. Yeah, exactly. You'll you'll feel fun. You'll feel great. It's, it'll. It's just a little tickle. Exactly. That's what he kind of says too. He says you might feel a little tingle or see some weird funny lights, but it'll feel great. As a technician briefs Pershing about the procedure, Pershing protests that it will purge him of his memories. Um, obviously, since he's a scientist, he knows quite a bit about it. The Mon Calamari disagrees and says that he has been through the treatment himself and found it refreshing. Hey, nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. The uh, technician and his colleagues ignore Pershing's accounts that Kane set him up as a trap. It was a trap. A trap. Uh, and uh, you see the one guy put the helmet on, and uh, then we have another technician that takes his glasses off, too. Uh, and Kane watches the procedure through, uh, you know, the glass window. The one-way mirror. Yeah, the one-way mirror, um, but he could, but Pershing can see her through it, so it's not, it's not a mirror, I guess. But no, I guess true. Um, the Twilight Commissioner uh, next to her expresses disappointment in Pershing's apparent deviance and thanks Kane for alerting him. Kane replies that it will help him, while the Commissioner commends her for being a successful candidate. The Commissioner begins initiating the sequence, and Kane asks if she can stay, claiming that Pershing was a friend that relapsed, and she cares for him. The commissioner relents and exits the room, but in secret. Oh. He raises the mind flare settings, which cause Pershing pain, and the lights kind of start turning red, and the, the little beams that are going over his head start turning red, too. I think it's more than a tickle. More than a tickle. And then we have another abrupt transition. Uh, so we go back to uh, our Mandalorians. Uh, Bo-Katan, a ship gauntlet, and Dingerin, the starfighter, exit hyperspace above an unidentified planet where the Children of the Watch covert is based. Dingerin explains that this is how his people survived in exile. Uh, Bo-Katan remarks that they still live by the old ways. And Dingerin advises her to keep her helmet on during the meeting, and she obliges. They land on the banks of the lake near the covert uh, that we saw the, uh, the big crocodile earlier last mm -hmm. episode. Yep, yep, yep. Grogu exits uh, with his cradle. Uh, or whatever that thing is that he floats around in. Uh, after they disembark, they're greeted by Paz Vizsla, which, you know, just so you know, that's the one that's got the blue and the different uh, colors on his helmet. Yeah, he's like the uh, 
I don't know, I guess leader maybe. I don't know. Is that what is that what his title is? Um I would say maybe elder. Elder might be a good word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was the one I, that was in charge at the uh, at the old planet too. Yeah, I think the um, the armor is actually the one that's in charge of the clan. Okay. Um, you know, like kind of like a maybe a witch doctor kind of uh, idea. Which I mean, she's not really, but she she's the one that you know makes their their helmets and their armor mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So. Um, She's a, you know, the tight knit person that keeps them all together and, and all that, I guess. But, um, and Paz Vizsla, uh, was as was seen on, um, the Clone Wars also, um, because we get to see the Children of the Watch and everything, and we get to see some of the battle with the uh, the different factions of the Mandalorians on in, in the Clone Wars. Okay. Um, so and he's a major character. He's one of the uh, one people, like you said, he is one of the original people that that split off uh, and formed this Children of the Watch clan. Okay. Uh, so um, he's been around, um, and he uh, he bars Dindrin from entering the grounds because he's still an apostate. Uh, and Dindrin, of course, responds and says. I am no longer an apostate because I have managed to reach the mines of Mandalore and dunked myself into the uh, living waters. He's redeemed. I'm redeemed. Bizzala does not believe him, but Dindrin explains that he, that that it's a lie that Mandalore is uninhabitable and cursed. When Bizzala asks how they can ascertain if Dindrin is lying or not, Bo-Katan speaks up for him and says that she was a witness. Uh, this prompts uh, Vizsla to ask Bo-Katan who she is, addressing her as a night owl, night owl which is a reference to the pattern on her mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mask. Um, Bo-Katan introduces herself as Bo-Katan House of Krizzle. Krizzle. Um And Vizsla regards Grizel is an apostate as well. Uh, Dindarin submits a cylinder proving that they have been to the living waters. Uh, Vizzle replies that that uh, they will see if, if this is true or not um, and allows uh, the three of them to enter the cave uh, under heavily armed guards. So they don't, they surround them pretty much and don't let them, you know, out of their sight. Yep. Inside, the armorer is working at the smelter. Uh, Vizsla reports that Dindarin and Bo-Katan claim to have bathed in the living waters. When the armorer asks if this is true, Dindarin submits his uh, his cylinder that he collected the water in as proof. And uh, Bo-Katan testifies that she was present and that she pulled uh, him out of the water when he fell into the depths. Uh, Grogu watches from inside his little cradle while the armor empties the cylinder contents into a water container, releasing it releases a turquoise kind of uh, color into the water, and the armor ascertains that Dindarin is telling the truth and declares him redeemed, adding that this is the way. And we hear it repeated all over. This is the way. This is what. This oh, is this the way. way. 
She also rules that Bo-Katan is redeemed by creed. When Bo-Katan responded that she is not a believer, the armor asks if she has bathed in the waters and has removed her helmet since then. Bo-Katan confirms that she has not removed her helmet, and the armor permits Krizel to join the covert and live as a her ancestors once did. She gives Bo-Katan permission to leave. It states until she is until then she is one of the children of the watch. The armor leads her followers by chanting, This is the way. This is the, this way. Is the way. This is the way. Crazy cult people. Yeah. Um as the other Mandalorians praise Dingerin and their praise. Bo-Katan a little bit too uh, for uh, you know redeeming themselves, and then and we the, and joining the convert. Exactly, exactly, and they uh, and and we see that Bo-Katan uh, sees um, a silver uh, or probably a Beskar um, version of the Mythosar hanging on the on the wall in the room. Yep, which brings us back to. The waters mm. foreshadowing, foreshadowing again. The foreshadowing, and that's when the uh, credits start rolling down the screen. Well, and uh, and and we've seen that uh, that Beskar, whatever it is, uh, method, you know, thing before because it hung, yeah. it hung with the armor before. Yep. So there, there's some connection that we uh, are going to find out or alluded to. Well, um. The uh, the background is, and they kind of explained it when Bo-Katan was, plaque. yeah, when she read that plaque. But um, the Mythosar is one of the foundations of of the Mandalorians. They uh, they basically, I don't know, tamed the Mythosars, you could say, mm-hmm. and they they regard that as a huge accomplishment, kind of thing, and they. Um, Somehow, the Amythasars, they thought, went extinct. So to honor them, they used the symbol um, mm-hmm. to honor the Amythasar. Um, but apparently, uh, from what we saw, maybe they aren't as extinct as we thought. Um, which oh, frightens oh. Bo-Katan. Frightens Bo-Katan. Um, yeah, so that's the uh, the show. Um we have the question of the week that I alluded to earlier, um, and I put I put something complicated here. But the actual question that I put on the poll is: Is Ella Kane a double agent working for Moff Gideon? Um, mm. And I, you know, making sure that the clone program does not get in the hands of the new New Republic by uh, turning up the dial on Doctor Pershing. <laughs> so. That's the question I put. Um, where's my page? If it walks be. like a duck and talks like a duck, it probably ain't a penguin. Exactly. A penguin. You the fact boy. that she took him to Moff Gideon's ship, which was... just happened to be there to be, you know, junked out or decommissioned or whatever term you want to use. Uh, the fact that she was on Moff Gideon's ship and 
met the doctor numerous times but never introduced herself. And the fact that the doctor saw her and recognized her for being on Moff Gideon's ship and was a little terrified at that fact. Let's be honest. Because when he first initially saw her, he was a little, like, heebie-jeebie, like, fearful of that. Yeah, take it back. So if she's not a double agent, they've done a heck of a job of writing to make it implied and inferred that she is. So my answer is, she's not a penguin. She's a duck. Exactly. So on the uh, actual poll, I put four choices. And I'm just going to, I don't normally read these off, but I'm just going to read them off just because um, they kind of talk to what you said. So the first choice is yes, they want to keep the clone program away from the New Republic. Um, and then I put no, she just doesn't like him. Um, and then I put uh, another one for yes. Dr. Pershing crossed Moff Gideon for the last time. Oh. And then uh, the last choice I put no. She is just against everyone. She doesn't like anybody. It's not you, it's me. It's me. So um, that's a perfect opportunity to to answer the poll and then put in the comments what you think. Um, which brings us towards the feedback section here. Let's go back this way. Feedback. Feedback. That's right. Feedback. So we really would love to uh, discuss and get you as an audience involved in this podcast. It's great that we're talking amongst each other, but, uh, you know, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we are just making up stuff and it's not really true. So tell us if we're wrong. Um, you can use that email address that was just called out, feedback at kylejohansson.us. You can go to the website, and on the left-hand side over there, it says um, feedback, and it's just a little link that opens up a form. You can fill it out and submit it, and it comes directly to us, and we will discuss that. Uh, again, we have the questions of the week, the poll that I just mentioned. There's comments there. We are on Twitter at super underscore duper underscore pod. <laughs> and then um, now we're on um, Spotify and YouTube with our videos. And Spotify and YouTube both allow comments uh, when you've looked at that as well. Um I want to explore. I think Amazon has a comment section too. Um, But I really wasn't happy with Amazon stuff uh, before. I'm kind of hoping, like I was telling Rick earlier, (laughs) they've changed changed it a little bit. So we'll see. So we we have those ways. We have those ways of getting feedback. Send us the feedbacks. Then we can figure out whether or not we like it or not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so anything else that you wanted to... This this was a really long episode. Yeah, I was going to say, this is this one was a longer episode than I think normal, So, which was good. I mean, yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was almost... You know, um, I mentioned that there was a abrupt transition. It was almost like 
two different episodes, but it was in one, you know? Yeah. Maybe one of them was too short, and they're like, ah, let's just combine it. Well, they're, it they're what, tying, tying some stuff together, I think. This yeah, is pretty I mean, fast-paced. Like, it's always on the go. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. It's just, uh, you know, the stuff with um, Dr. Pershing, um, I think eventually we'll we'll get back to you know our Mandalorian and stuff. Oh yeah, um, yeah because yeah. Moff Gideon's looking for him still. I, I'm pretty sure of it. Um, you know, since Mando or yeah, Mando put him in jail basically by uh, defeating him and uh, getting the dark saber and um, surrendering him to the Republic. Agreed, agreed, and I think this is kind of a key important backstory to that. I do too. I think this is how uh, uh, we see how Gideon operates, basically. If, if yeah. it's true, how he operates. Uh, yeah. What? Sweet. I don't see that. Oh, she's adding to the checklist. Sorry, I was looking at Amazon again. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think, um, like we've discussed, there's going to be a lot coming uh, on that subject. Um, mm -hmm. We're just now into episode three. Next week will be uh, episode four, chapter 20. Um, and that means we'll have four more after that. There's only eight this season. So, we're getting to the midpoint where something's got to break, right? Something's got to switch over and we get into the, the exciting stuff. I'd say, I, I think maybe he saying, makes an appearance next week or the week after maybe possibly, um, some of the spoilers and I'm, I'm going to say it because I don't think it's true. Some of the spoilers are saying that next week is an Ahsoka episode. Mm -hmm. Um, it could be, which means we'll probably get the Ahsoka episode and not hear Moff Gideon if that happens. Um, but I don't know, you know, uh, like I kind of mentioned before, Moff Gideon uh, worked for Admiral or Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, so they could tie together that way because, you know, we mm -hmm. know from the previous episodes <clears throat> or previous seasons that she was looking for um, Thrawn. Because that's what she asked that lady when she was fighting him. Where is he at? Tell me his location. Fighting with that Beskar spear or whatever. Maybe we like maybe we get both of them showing up. And there's the it could be possible. Could be, could be possible. Or could we, possible. we get introduced to one of them and then focus on the episode. And then right at the very last, we get introduced to the other one, which leads us into episode five. Potentially. I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I think if they're gonna reveal a Thrawn, if they're gonna do it this season, I think uh, it'll be the last <clears throat> episode, last two yeah, episodes, probably. and then just leave us hanging, like, and to lead into the next season. I agree with you. Yeah, because I mean, as you know, um, the writing on this stuff is 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 pretty good. Um, there's been some shows outside of star wars that are much better writing but this is pretty good writing for star wars yeah they yeah, they yeah. have a pretty good plan and um and, that, and i think that's you know 
justice to to John Favreau because um, he's he's got the plan already planned out before they even started filming all the episodes. You know. Yep. It's yep, not. Yep. It's not like a. It's not like a regular TV series where they kind of make it up as they go every episode or whatever. He's yeah. got it all planned out, and there's a there's an end point um, that they have to get to every season and every uh, for the entire show. Um, and I, you know, I personally think that end point is 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 somewhere um, to do with Thrawn, but I could be wrong. Um, there could be a lot more. I mean. We could, uh, you know, end on Luke Skywalker training hundreds of new Jedi's. I, I, I don't know, because um, that that does happen in this time period. Um, it could, and maybe that's how we get connected to uh, Ahsoka too, is through maybe Luke makes another show. I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, see, I have a suspicion that now that um, uh, Dinjarin is redeemed. That he is going to seek out Luke Skywalker because he still doesn't know how to use that dark saber. True. Last time he used it, it was heavy for him still. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's going to seek out um, Luke Skywalker and get some training on it and help him figure out why he can't do that. Um, and uh, reconnect Grogu with Luke, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> like I mentioned at the beginning of the season, um, we have to consider the fact that uh, remember when um, Dingerin was taking the frog lady uh, mm-hmm. back to her home planet, yep, and they yep. couldn't fl- they couldn't fly with hyperspace because there was a problem with his engine, so they had to do the old fashioned way. Yeah, and that supposedly took two years to happen. Wow, um, which means Grogu was with Luke for t- over two years. Because uh, right after that, he lands on uh, Moss Eisley, and uh, you know he's he's there with with what's her name, and Grogu shows up. Yeah, in the sh- in the sh- uh, Tie Fighter or whatever, mm-hmm. Luke's Luke's Tie Fighter, not Tie Fighter. That's not what it is. It's a X Wing. X Wing. Um, he shows up in Luke's X Wing uh, when all the Boba Fett stuff's going on. You know. Yep. 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 Um, so that, that time frame was two years, um, plus a little bit more for all the Boba Fett stuff to happen. Uh, of course she was there during most of the Boba Fett stuff. Grogu was, um, yeah, I think he was there the whole time for all the Boba Fett stuff. Anyway, we have to remember that part that it's been a couple of years and he was trained for a couple of years. That's why yeah. he, uh, is able to take that monster and throw him out of the, the cave like that. He's yep, yep. he's got some training already, um, but he's still young. It's hard to believe that Grogu is uh, chronologically fifty three years old, uh, but he's still an infant in in mm-hmm. that uh, species because they live six hundred years. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is stupid. I don't know why they would say that. Why can't a species live like three hundred years? Six hundred years is just that's just over the top, right? Um, All about rotations. <laughs> yeah. But it does make it interesting that um, technically Yoda trained every almost every Jedi that we saw in the, the movies. True. Yoda was, 
was trading all of them. Yeah. Um, so that's true. He was he was a grandmaster during most of the time too. Yeah. Uh, because he survived everybody more than likely. <laughs> oh, you're the only one left. You're the grandmaster. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, that's a lot of speculation there. So, yeah. The next episode, we don't know any titles for this this show. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll we'll see something good like we just described. Um, anything else you got, Rick? No, I don't have anything else. Am I ready to get us out of here so we can eat something? I think we need to go. We need to go to hyperspace. All right. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Alliance Briefing Room Podcast. Please visit our website where you can play current and past episodes. That's HTTPS colon backslash backslash R-A-B-R That's R-A-B-R dot K-A-I-L-E-J-O-H-A-N-S-E-N dot U-S. On the left-hand side is a navigation menu. You can use this to learn how to load the Rebel Alliance Briefing Room podcast on your Android or Apple phone and tablet. And we have direct links to our podcast on Apple and Google Podcasts. Please participate by connecting to our social media, answering questions of the week, or submitting feedback directly from the site. Again, all of these are available at the Rebel Alliance Preacher Room website at R-A-B-R-K-A-I-L-E-J-O-H-A-N-S-E-N-U-S. This podcast in no way is approved, sponsored, or owned by Lucasfilms LTD, Disney, Disney Plus, or any of its subsidiaries. All opinions are solely owned by Kyle and or Scott and in no way express the views or opinions of their past or present employers. Sometimes views and opinions are not supported or restricted by Lucasfilms, LTD, Disney, Disney Plus, or any of its subsidiaries. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or any or other use of this podcast and its affiliate sites without consent of Super Duper Podcast Network and its host is prohibited. Prohibited. I am Kyle Johnson. Against the rules. Andrew Scott. Say goodbye now. Today we've got Rick instead of Andrew. Uh, Rick is in that boat looking out over the water. We can't see his face. The sun is setting. Goodbye. And the sun is setting. So, yeah, talk to you guys next week. We're out of here.